Welcome to the Sleep Science Pod, the podcast that reveals the science behind one of the most fundamental, yet most mysterious of human behaviours, sleep. I'm Dr. Caroline Horton. I'm an academic psychologist and the director of Dreams Lab. I also really love sleep, so personally, as well as professionally, I know how important it is for our mental and physical health. Throughout this series, I'll be talking to guests about their common sleep complaints and offering evidence-based tips for getting that all-important shut-eye. Together, we'll evaluate the evidence that sleep improves all aspects of health and well-being, and whether it really is that ultimate panacea. What are we aware of whilst sleeping? Is there any truth in the idea that dreams reflect our unconscious? And if so, what does that mean? Can you even measure it? If Freud could analyse you by asking about your dreams, can we study our own dreams to make greater sense of ourselves? In this programme, we consider whether dreams can offer insight into our personal lives, whether we can access them at all, and even whether we are aware of anything whilst we're asleep. When we wake, we usually have a reasonable idea how long we've been asleep for. We can even make ourselves wake at specific unusual times, especially if something important is going to happen, like needing to wake early to go on holiday. So, in this sense, we must be counting the passage of time during sleep, surely. But are we aware of this? In fact, are we aware of anything during sleep? Today, we'll consider consciousness while we are, in a way, unconscious. What on earth is going through our minds while we're asleep? And how would we know about it anyway? There are many different definitions and theories of consciousness. In the broadest sense, consciousness refers to awareness, whether that's an awareness of yourself leading to self-consciousness, or an awareness of your mental content, or even more fundamentally, merely having the ability to think and feel. What we've seen so far in this series is that we can think and feel during sleep, as evidenced by our dream memories that linger with us upon waking. Indeed, we might even feel particularly strongly at some parts of the night, with REM sleep being intricately involved in regulating our emotions by experiencing them. We've also talked about brain activity across the night, noting how it changes as a function of sleep stage, but crucially, that there is a great deal of brain activity throughout the night, even if it emerges in different patterns. Taken together, it seems like there is a strong case for us being conscious during sleep. I find it really hard to believe that we wouldn't be conscious. Being unconscious is either a sign of extreme physical danger and illness, or it's a deeply medicated state. And yet, we hear sayings like, I was dead to the world to describe a deep state of sleep. And similarly, that sleeping very soundly might reflect being very much unaware of one's surroundings. In psychology, the term unconscious has additional connotations. Often regarded as one of the founders of the discipline and likely psychology's most famous figure, Sigmund Freud tried to describe the workings of the brain-mind by hypothetically splitting the mind into distinct components, depending on whether their content could be accessible, conscious, or not, unconscious. Crucially, Freud claimed that the thoughts and feelings that we are aware of are not only the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's stored in our minds, but also that the parts that we're not aware of, that unconscious, could influence our behaviour without our knowing it. 
This was revolutionary at the time and sparked the start of a whole new way of thinking about the mind, psychodynamics. And that brought about associated methods for supposedly trying to access and then interpret these inaccessible thoughts or desires, namely psychoanalysis. It would have been hard to prove Freud wrong, as if he claimed that perhaps we hold a sexual lust for a family friend or a burning rage and hostility towards a relative, for example, we may well deny that. But Freud would then just counter it with the idea that such denial would demonstrate the deeply inaccessible and unconscious root of those desires. Freud couldn't evidence these interpretations, and neither could his patients. As a scientist who relies on empiricism, or in other words, observable evidence, it's almost impossible to study the unconscious. But psychologists have developed clever ways of doing so, and really... Cognitive scientists in particular prefer the term non-conscious to describe processes that can be evidence, but of which we're not aware. We might be shown words so quickly that we have no recognition of them, for example. We wouldn't be able to read them or to demonstrate any awareness of having seen them at all. Yet, those same words could be rated later as more pleasant if we see them again with conscious awareness indicating some extent of original processing that was non-conscious. In this way, there are influences on our behaviour of which we are unaware. But what's this got to do with sleep? There are two main issues. Firstly, it's likely that during sleep, just like in wake, much of our processing is non-conscious. There's evidence via brain activity and post-sleep behaviours that specific memories are activated when we are asleep, for instance, and that these specific memories lead to memory reorganisation and benefits of recallability later on. It may well be that whilst these memories are activated, we recall them, either wholly or in part, and this might well lead to remembering, feeling or acting out a story of our experiences. I'm talking about dreams, of course. So, in that sense, there may be a conscious side to the non-conscious processing. More often than not, as we've seen elsewhere in this series, we forget about our dream thoughts, and that might be while we feel we've been unconscious in the night. But in addition to this processing side, there's the second Freudian unconscious to think about. There are still a number of researchers who support Freud's psychodynamic ideas, or at least a version of them, and they explore how the unconscious might influence our sleep and cognition. I'm really intrigued by this and wanted to find out more. We know that our recent events and experiences feature in our dreams, though more often than not in fragmented and jumbled up ways. But could something like the COVID-19 pandemic influence our sleep thoughts unconsciously without us even realising it? And if so, how would we find that out? A recent project, Lockdown Dreams, sought to explore exactly that. Today I'm talking to Soraya Kesselman, who's studying psychoanalytical theory at the Psychoanalysis Unit at UCL. Soraya's part of the Lockdown Dreams project, and we're going to find out more about that now. Hi there, Soraya. Hi. Could you tell us all about the project? So Lockdown Dreams started as a, um, basically as a, as a research project from a small group of us within the psychoanalytic faculty 
um, at UCL. So we were in a reading group, and at the end of the uh, at the end of the class, we just began to discuss some of the dreams that we were having because we we all realized that they were all incredibly vivid. So some of us decided to look a bit more into these dreams, and uh, we found that even in the media, a lot of people reported. Um, a lot more vivid dreams, so we decided we might as well start collecting them. And it's about dreams in lockdown in particular, I presume. So is there something you're uh, hoping to gather about people's dreaming experiences at this particular time? So essentially, psychoanalysis um, feels that dreams are have value in the sense that they they give they are the um, royal road to the unconscious as Freud said um, so they give insight into our unconscious lives that we might not be fully aware of in our day-to-day -day, uh, living and so basically with with collecting dreams from a bunch of people across society we can get a collective get some collective insight into um, how people are really dealing with uh, the lockdown, how people are emotionally responding to COVID and quarantine and all these, um, all this, this very interesting and unprecedented time, really. Interesting. So how many dreams have you managed to collect? Um, I think more than 700 now. Yeah, so more than 700 dreams. That's an impressive database of dreams. And what are you doing with these? Are you analysing them individually? Or are you looking for sort of commonalities across uh, your whole sample? So in the early stages of working through the data, we've really tried to look for patterns um, of what, what sort of images we see, what sort of... Um, what sort of metaphorical content there is within the dreams, uh, all, the, all this sort of thing. So it's, it's more on images, I think, at the moment, and the okay. emotional content that might be attached to them. Are, are there some headline findings that you could share with us? Uh, yeah, there, there definitely is. Um, so there's a lot of, of dreams that feature houses, so which is very obviously connected to people being stuck in their houses um, all day. Um, a lot of themes of people being in travel or transport area, or places of travel or transport, such as train stations or airports. Um, there is also um, reports of activities going, daily activities going wrong. So someone going to Tesco and then they, them realizing that this isn't allowed anymore as a result of lockdown. Um, uh, feelings of being trapped, uh, other people coming to into one space. It's basically a lot of frustration and anxiety and persecution that is being conveyed through these through these dreams. It it makes sense. <laughs> it sounds quite um, descriptive on a sort of explicit level as to what people are feeling. So if people are dreaming quite. I would say maybe consciously or, or explicitly of the world around them. Where does the sort of psychoanalytic bit fit in, um, and and what is the role of the unconscious in the dream? So psychoanalytic theory in general um, thinks that 
dreams are important uh, to understand the the un- what what a person is actually feeling within psychoanalysis as well there are a variety of different um theories regard or schools of thought regarding what what purpose dreams have and how they come about so freud thought that dreams are the guardians of sleep and they're um they are a form of wish fulfillment so things we aren't getting in our our daily lives it's it's our drive discharge that is is trying to find an outlet within the dreams um there are other psychoanalysts that believe that um dreams are a form of uh emotional processing so we process our day-to-day experiences uh through dreaming that's why dream dreaming and sleep is so important um so really through dream life we get a an, an idea of what our unconscious um unconscious is, is is feeling so so what what sort of we might for example in our day to day we're stuck at home we might not feel very anxious about the situation as as our as our minds try to deal with this this new um this change to our routine but our dreams might reveal uh a deep-seated anxiety or fears of persecution that um, aren't coming across in our day-to-day lives. So it's, it allows us to see what what we're really feeling. Yeah, as, as a cognitive psychologist, I'm nodding in agreement. And, and yet, when I think about the way Freud described the unconscious, I don't think I agreed with his version of the unconscious that it was extremely disguised. So where do you think you fit in terms of your view of the unconscious? Do you think that it's inaccessible or do you think it's just, as you're describing, maybe deep-seated emotions that we don't have time or inclination to process when we're awake? I think ultimately the unco- we don't have access or we don't easily have access to the unconscious. So we can uh, see what it what because by definition really we are we only have um access to our conscious minds our day-to-day functioning is is conscious that, that is consciousness so what occurs behind the scenes is our unconscious so um we get an idea into what how our unconscious drives us um and what sort of how how repressed things are are coming out through our behavior, through our thoughts, that we might not understand where they come from. And it's the same sort of idea with dreams. It's especially poignant in what, if the content of the, what is repressed in the unconscious that comes out is, is sort of too disturbing to come to terms with. So the idea that like, you can't, e- you can't even go outside anymore, you can't do everything you want, life has just completely slowed down, that is in many ways quite a disturbing idea and and we don't know how to deal with that so the way that the unconscious um tries to tries to find an outlet for it is is to translate them into these fascinating images we see in dreams so, so we understand that during lockdown uh, anxiety prevalence has increased quite phenomenally so would you expect that the people who are openly displaying symptoms of anxiety would also have dreams that 
display those anxieties, albeit in a disguised manner? Or would you expect actually the opposite, that the people who are openly experiencing their anxieties in the day would be less likely to have those dreams with those anxious themes? On, on the one hand, people that are more anxious are more likely or probably don't have as much repressed anxious content that needs to find an outlet. So they might find um, that they, their, their dreams don't, don't portray that sort of content because it's already finding an outlet in their, in their day-to-day lives um, and, they, and they feel it during the day. However, on the other hand, if the quantity, the sheer quantity of, of anxiety um, is, is, is high, then there is going to be a lot of repressed content that would also try to find an outlet during the night as well. So you'll find, I think, I think, yeah, I think it could go either way. Yeah, I, I agree, actually. It's hard to predict, isn't it? But I guess exactly as you said, if the anxieties are so extreme that they're disguised, um, then it may be very difficult to uncover them in wake as well as in the dreams. But how are you analysing these dreams? And what process do you go through to try to identify content that might be disguised? So we try to look at imagery within the dreams. Uh, at least that's what we're doing at the moment. Um, so essentially, I, I like to compare it to how you would look at, how you would do, as in English literature, how you would analyze a text. You would look at the meaning behind the imagery. Um, and even though you are not the person that wrote the prose or the poem itself, you can still look at the images, look at patterns within them and draw conclusions. Uh, we like to look at, or we, we have been looking at dreams in the same way. We, we, we also look at metaphors within the dream as well. So in the sense of um, through the narrative of the dream. So we look at metaphors through the narrative of the dream in the sense, so for just as an example, there was there was one dream where um, the dreamer was was in their room in their house, and suddenly through a window, a pigeon dressed as the Monopoly character man uh, tries to tries to get into the dreamer's home uh, through the window and won't leave the dreamer alone essentially, and is trying to get the dreamer. To, to sell their home or, or something along those lines and the idea there is you can see someone trying to to get into your house to get into your space a pigeon is generally associated with something dirty in the city where there's a lot of people so you can try to you can see that there's there's clear well is you can draw the conclusion that they might feel a sort of anxiety about other people coming into their homes bringing in dirt um, bringing in the virus potentially from the outside world um, and things like that. So disruptions of the home as well. And a lot of people or a lot of psychoanalysis um, sometimes conceives dreaming of the home as dreaming of the, the self, of dreaming of the body. So the, the self is portrayed as the home and things coming into the home um, would be um, a sign of something from the outside world coming into the self and, and um, um, coming into one's space and things like that. The way you describe the interpretation, again, it, it sounds convincing. Um, but then there's another part of me that's thinking, maybe this dreamer just saw a pigeon that day 
<laughs> so there could be multiple different interpretations of the same dream. Do you tend to uncover very similar themes and interpretations of those themes to other people who are also taking part in the project? Yeah, I think that's exactly what we're trying to do. We, well, ultimately there's only so much you can interpret uh, from a dream that you that wasn't yours and where you don't know the person involved so in actual analysis dreams are conceived of as, as as useful to to continuing the analysis because dreamers can come in with a dream that they share and it's the the analyst kind of questions them and sees it, and the the it's the dreamer themselves that's an analysis that identifies what they think the meaning behind the dream is, and then it's a way of of starting to discuss um, um, things that might be concealed within the person that they that they can then think about so concealed and disguised parts of the unconscious that can then find a sort of life through the imagery of the dream that's then deconstructed in analysis. That makes sense. So in some ways, your project is. Um, quite unique in terms of gathering so many dreams which is fantastic but then unusual in terms of not having that continued conversation with the exactly mm -hmm. yeah so there, there's only so much we can do with the data we have but um we want to look for for patterns uh, in the images and the sort of simple interpretations that you can gain um yeah, things like that. Because the, the idea that you said that she could have just seen a, she or he could have just seen a pigeon that day. But at the same time, the idea that the pigeon is coming to the home, why is it, why is it that the, the mind portrayed that sort of narrative, that image, um, as opposed to just um, them seeing a pigeon on the street or having a you know, pigeon on your shoulder or something like that, that would convey a more um, a friendly dialogue with the pigeon um so we're interested yeah, they, in that. finding that there are quite a lot of commonalities in the way that these images are represented i think tells us something quite important about the nature possibly the function of dreaming um in terms of communicating emotions and possibly other things too it's fascinating um and i think you've got an ambitious job analyzing 700 plus dreams <laughs> i wish you all the best with it <laughs> thank you from talking to Soraya, it's clear that there are a number of different ways of exploring our dream worlds and that the scientific angle that I favour is just one of them. Soraya spoke passionately about consciousness during sleep and I agree that whether we have awareness of our thoughts from sleep or not, our brain minds are beavering away without us necessarily controlling them. This might be a major function of sleep to present the perfect conditions for this to happen. Alternatively, these conditions might just have evolved over time, we don't know. Either way, sleep continues to be a crucially important time for cognitive processing, and we all seem to agree that we're very much conscious during sleep. One particularly strong example of sleep consciousness is a vivid dream. Occasionally, we might have a dream that's so clear, so lifelike, that it almost seems difficult to shake. For some people, these experiences might be perceived as sending messages. Indeed, dreams are, in some times and cultures, 
seem to be shamanistic and they hold very special value in some religions too. So is it possible that dreams could be a sign that we need to act on? Dreams, as we know, can be strange and wondrous and they're also intensely personal. So it's tempting to think that they might reflect something about our past or our future. But if dreams predicted the future, we'd be able to change our behaviour accordingly in light of them and evidence that. Unfortunately, the evidence suggests that whilst there may well indeed have been people dreaming about aeroplanes in the night or week preceding the September 11th attacks in America, for example, and that those dreams may have felt particularly powerful at the time and since, actually, they were no more likely to have been experienced then than now or any other time. The memory of them might have changed, but in line with what we call hindsight bias. So dreams likely don't predict the future. Having said that, we can dream about things that haven't happened yet. I've said before that dreams come from our memories, but in our memories also are thoughts and concerns about upcoming or future experiences, perhaps like being worried about an upcoming doctor's appointment or feeling excited about getting to meet with someone that you haven't seen in a long time. But these prospective experiences are simulated on the basis of our memories and stored in our memories with the same underlying processes, underlying simulation of future events as recalling past ones. And even if we dreamed of something in the future, just as with past events, we rarely dream of them in the same context as they will actually take place. So these aren't premonitions, I'm afraid. They're still fascinating and wonderful, but dreams don't quite have that magical ability to predict the future, as some believe. Having said that, some sleep experiments have demonstrated that following REM sleep, we can experience insight into things that we hadn't realised before. It's likely a function of that reorganisation in REM of memories and information that we've talked about before. So let's not forget the incredible novel connections that are forged during sleep. And if we wake feeling creative and with new ideas, let's not ignore them. Feeling well rested is more likely to lead to productivity and new insights than sleeping insufficiently. There are some recurring themes now in this series, namely that the benefits of sleep cannot be underestimated. Whilst our bodies are resting, our minds are busy preparing us as a cognitive and physical system to deal with whatever waking life might throw our way. Now, I think that's a good excuse for an early night, don't you? Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Sleep Science Pod. I hope you found it helpful. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review. You can find me on Twitter at Sleep and Memory. And until the next episode, sleep well. <laughs>